Guys, would you grab a Bible and join us this morning in 1 John chapter 2. It's where we are this morning. We're on Sunday mornings. We're working through the book of 1 John verse by verse, just making our way. So where we ended last week, we pick up this week and wanting to see the things that God has for us. And we hope you have a Bible so that you can join us in that. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front, page number on the screen where you can get there rapidly. You can use an electronic device. Either way, one way or another, we're wanting you to have the Word of God before you so that God would speak to you through His Word. That's true for everybody here in the sanctuary. If you're in the overflow, same invitation. Grab a Bible, open it up so you're following along. If you're joining us online, same invitation. Make sure you have a Bible open so that you're following and God would speak to you clearly and effectively through His Word as we're longing that today would be that. So, as we've opened up his word, let's take a moment and ask him to do that. Let's just ask him to open our hearts to what he would have to speak to us. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I hope you are praying as well. And that right now you would simply ask God to speak to you what he is seeking to speak to you through his word. And he can do that in some effective ways. So let's ask him for it together right now. Father, thank you that you are that good shepherd. Thank you that you bring us into those green pastures. Do it now. Do it now. Lord, open up your word to us, and may it be life to us. Help us to understand what you're saying, but God, would you meet your people in a personal way, nourishing, feeding, growing, showing what only you could do, something I could never accomplish. You can. Do it here. By the power of your Spirit, meet us. Help us to hear your voice. And then just work it effectively into the things that you have for us. I ask for it for each of us. We're asking for it right now as we thank you that you indeed are God and you indeed are good. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is the last hour. We are living in the last days. Well, that's good to know, but that's exactly where we began this morning. You had your Bibles already open there. Would you join me as we pick it up where we left off last week? We start in verse 18. It goes this way. Little children, it is the last hour. Hey, pause there. I like the way this begins. You need to hear the tone of voice. He speaks to those he's writing to, and he calls them little children. Please understand, that's not diminutive. That's not speaking down to. It's the idea of speaking to us as the children of God, and doing so, which is a tender and a, a loving way. And you ought to hear it that way. He's like, oh, children of God. Little children, hear what God is saying. Hear what he's telling us. He says, little children, it is the last hour. We are in that space where time is running down. Time is almost running out. The sands, if you will, of grain are almost just moving through in that sense, and he's telling us that reality. Simply put, Jesus is coming soon. I mean, I hope you understand that's true, that Jesus is coming back, and there is a sense in hearing these words, it should speak that and draw us to understand that. And I just want to tell you, it's good to have that wash over us. That said, I need to be technically correct, and in so doing, I might confuse you. God help me not to. Um, when we think about it being the last hour, understand it this way. It's actually been the last hour since Jesus rose from the grave. It's actually been the last hours, the last days since that point in time. Now, I realize once I say this, some of you are going to be like, well, that's just confusing. You know, I mean, I kind of thought last days was like, you know, 2022. I mean, I, I mean, really, but it was always understood that way. I mean, if you go back into the book of Acts and you get the very first sermon after Pentecost, Peter is preaching. He's like, guys, we need to repent because Jesus, we want him to come back. And they were speaking about it from the very first moments, and that carried all the way through the New Testament. All the New Testament writers anticipated Jesus coming back, and rightly so. It has always been the, God, the plan for God that would have for us as his people that we would live with expectancy. All have, all are meant to do that, and you need to understand, hey, that's true. So when we think about the last hour or last days, it's as if we're understanding we're in this final section of history. So much came, you know, built up to the day of Jesus, built up to him dying on the cross, and when he rose from the grave, it was paid for. It was done. 
I mean, all we're waiting for now is that final conclusion. We're in this final chapters, this final space. But let's again just own it. Because see, I'm telling this, and for some of you, it's like the first time you've wrapped your mind around this, and you're like, wait a second. Last days, Jim, that's, it's been like 2,000 years. I mean, when John wrote this, I mean, when we had this, I mean, it's been almost 2,000 years since all of this happened. And sometimes it can almost begin to make us feel well, it doesn't feel like it's the last days. It doesn't feel that, you know, tentative or, you know, just coming quickly if we put it in that perspective. But he wants us to see it that way. And in fact, he reasons with us. I like the way he does it in Peter. When he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. And again, in the context there in Peter, he's talking about this. He says there are going to be people that begin to think, well, okay, maybe God isn't coming back soon. He's like, he is. I mean, he is so coming back, but he's waiting, Peter tells us. He's waiting for more people to be saved, but understand God's timing is different than our timing for him. I mean, a thousand years is like a day. I mean, we might sit here and go, it's been 2,000 years, and God's been in a couple days. You know, it's been like, I mean, it hasn't even really been that long. I mean, really, I don't know what you're kind of worried about, but it is going to happen. I mean, we're not looking at something that's never going to happen. We are looking that Jesus is going to come back, that there is an understanding of that reality. And I personally believe that we're living in the last of the last days. I mean, I personally believe as I look at our world and I look at all that's happening around us, it feels so present. In fact, I could tell you this, and 100% certain, this is not a guess. We are closer to the day of Jesus coming back than anybody has ever been before. I mean, because honestly, it's true. We are closer than anybody has ever been to the coming of Christ. But I do believe he's coming. There is that understanding, this reality that believing that Jesus is coming soon. It might be today. I would love it if we didn't finish the service. It could happen. I mean, that's the way that we're supposed to live with an understanding that he could come back before you and I get done here this morning. Or maybe it'll be this week, or maybe it'll be in a year. But you know what? If it's 10 years, if it's 100 years, if it's 1,000 years, it's still the last days, and I'm still good. Every day he waits. He's waiting for people to be saved, and I'm down with that. You know, it's like, great, let's do that. But I'm still supposed to live with this understanding that we're in this final moments of expecting that, and we're gazing forward to the end, and that's where he's drawing you and I to be right now reminding us that we're in that final section of history. We're in the last chapters. We're in this last hour. So with that in mind, let's go back and notice it again. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Okay, so we're living in this last section of history, this final hour, and he says, here's what we know. You've heard this. This isn't something that you, like, brand new, and it's probably not new for anybody here this morning. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming. You've heard that this man is going to be coming on the scene who is titled or known as the Antichrist. True. At the same moment, he says, even now, even now, many Antichrists have come which is how we know we're living in the last days, which is how we know we're in that final space. All right. Well, we begin to think this through for a moment, and so he's telling us that there's an understanding that you and I are meant to have, that it is the last hour, the Antichrist is coming, Antichrists have come. What is this? Well, the Antichrist. Most of you are familiar with this, but let me just remind you. The Bible's really clear. In fact, it's interesting how much of the Bible talks about this man who is the end times kind of Satan's Superman, if you want to think about it this way, Satan's version of Christ, who's going to come on the scene, lead the world astray. The world's going to buy into his lies, his you know, false offer of peace, and eventually he's going to declare himself to be God, calling the whole world to worship him. Now, that's what we know. In fact, we know much about this man throughout the Bible. We know he's coming. Right here in 1 John, he doesn't give us a whole bunch, except to just tell us, yes, we know this one is coming. We know when he's coming. He's going to come on the scene during what is known as the tribulation, a seven-year period of time that is coming on our world, where God's going to be dealing with the world and dealing with the nation of Israel specifically. But in the midst of it, that's going to be his day. 
It's going to be the day of his power. It's going to be the day that the Antichrist rules over the world where he declares himself to be God. We know, again, much about that day. And as we know much about that day, I can just tell you my, my understanding, and, and, and many of you guys as well, we're not actually going to see that. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're a Christian, the tribulation's not for us. We're not appointed for wrath. Instead, we're going to be raptured out before that. It gives it to us that way in that Thessalonians, where it lets us know that we are actually, the Holy Spirit in us is really the restraining influence that is keeping this man from coming on the scene that he's not going to be revealed into, until we get to that place, but he is coming. And so when we think about the Antichrist coming, it's not the kind of thing that he's inviting you and I to figure out who he is. Now, that's important. And again, can you just hear me clearly? There's been a lot of wasted time uh, for Christians throughout the centuries trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. And every century, there's somebody that seems like they figured it out. You know, in the early church, they would be like, it's this Caesar. I mean, he's the guy. I mean, look at him. I mean, he's, he's declaring himself, and this is going to be the man. And they were like, this is, and, and then, then it wasn't. Throughout history, it continued to happen. I mean, we get to days like Adolf Hitler, and there would be like, this is the guy. Look, he's killing Jews. I mean, look at what he's doing. It's got to be this man. And it, and it wasn't. And we continue to live in days where there continues to be that. In many ways, it's kind of interesting to think about it this way, that though God knows when he's coming back. You don't, I don't, and neither does Satan. He's always trying to get ready. Maybe in every generation he's had somebody. That being said, there is still a sense that you're meant to feel it, though you're never going to see this man, and spending time to try to figure out who he is would be a wasted time. That said, you can feel the current building. You can feel, in that sense, this idea that our world is preparing for this man. And again, I have, I have this, this really silly illustration that just works in my head. I don't know if you've ever done that. You stood out there uh, on, on the ocean and kind of you know, got your feet wet, and you stood out there a little bit there in the ocean, and then the tide begins to roll out, and you feel it. You know, it's like it's just sucking away. It begins to suck away the sand under your feet, and you know it's going out. And if that's happened, and if it happens a lot, like it's really pulling out, you know a wave's about to hit. I mean, it's, it's building up back here, and then it's going to come crashing forward. That's kind of where we live. We're living in the days, though we're not going to see this man, we can feel it. We can feel the world kind of moving in that direction. We can feel so much that seems to be moving in place to kind of prepare the scene for the Antichrist that is coming. Now, that's true, and I hope you understand that. That being said, we're never going to see him, and so he draws us to what we need to think about today. Go back and read it again. Little children, verse 18, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and he is, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Yeah, there's going to be this man who's going to be the, the biggest measure of it. He's going to be the one that does that. But there are many who even today in our world are antichrists. Wow, that's kind of interesting. What does that mean? Well, let's just quickly define it. When we say antichrist, we're not necessarily saying the opposite of Jesus. Sometimes we think about it that way. We think about antichrist, we think about somebody who is the very opposite of Christ. So, God, you know, Jesus was kind, and so he's going to be cruel, or, you know, Jesus was loving, and we think he's going to be hateful. It's not really the idea. Really, the Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, he's going to bring in peace into the world. He's going to seem to offer people what they want. It's not that he's the opposite of Jesus. The word anti is used in the Greek for this. It doesn't have the idea of opposite of Christ, but instead of Christ. It is to take the place of Jesus. The word Antichrist has someone who says, you know, you don't need Jesus, you need me. Me instead, put me in the place of what Christ should be in your life. So I want you to think about that, and for that, I'm going to use a different graphic. I've had this graphic up here on the screen, this kind of sand timer, this idea of living in the last days, but I want to add another little graphic, and I want you to kind of picture this pawn, this little, you know, lowest thing, and yet pretending to be a king, trying to replace the king of kings, trying to say, hey, I'm, I'm the one that's going to step into that space, and trying to rob people of that place of Christ. And again, that's where I want us to think about now, as we think about that, understand this, the way that John words it is that the more we get closer and closer to the last days, the more we get closer to that, it would seem to be a bigger problem 
every, you know, kind of just moving more towards it, that this is going to get worse and worse and worse. That's important because that means it's something that we need to be wary of, that there ought to be a sense. It's like, okay, there are antichrists out there. There are things that would be an antichrist. And I, didn't, I mean, you don't want that in so many ways. And, and that's exactly what he wants us to understand. Okay, so we're thinking about it. We, we be, we've begun it. We, we hear it. Little children, it's the last hour. The, the time is running out. The antichrist is coming. There are antichrists even now. So how do we face that? How do we process what that looks like? Well, I found myself thinking about it. I heard a quote from somebody a couple months back, and just the way they said it, it just resonated with me. And I don't know if it's going to resonate with you or kind of help you understand a little bit of where I want to go, but let me try. We think about the days in which we live, and I want you to understand that Satan is playing chess. Satan is playing chess, kind of masterfully moving on the scene while the church is playing checkers. Satan is playing chess where the church is playing checkers. Now, that might not make sense to anybody else, but let me try to help you understand where I'm going with this. I'm not saying we need to step up our game. I'm not saying, well, we just got to get better at this. I want to tell you, we can't. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that we could play on his level. We can't. He's playing a game that we can't see. It's a, it's a bigger game. It's, it's moving bigger pieces, while the church, at our very best, is playing checkers. In fact, for some of us, we're still playing tic-tac-toe. You know, like, we haven't even graduated to checkers yet. You know, like, I'm not there yet. I'm still trying to get there. You know? and, and there is a sense, what I'm wanting you to understand is there are things happening in our world that are bigger than you, and at your best, you couldn't fully comprehend. Time that you would spend trying to fully comprehend it would be wasted time because Satan is playing chess while we are playing checkers. But here's our hope. God is playing 3D chess. Uh, God is bigger than, than Satan, and he is outwitted and outmaneuvered, and he already knows. Like, I already got this. I know what, the, I, I can tell you where this is going. Satan's going to come on the scene. He's going to lose. I mean, he's got the whole deal, so that even today, we could know that he's working everything together for good to those that love God. I mean, God is masterful and, and beautiful and powerful and wise, and we are meant to recognize that. But if you can recognize it, that puts us way down the kind of ladder of understanding. Because, yeah, God is huge. God is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is faithful, sovereign, true, and he's working. He's got the whole thing. Satan is playing chess. He's masterfully moving things within our world. But you and I, we're, we're playing checkers. And maybe tic-tac-toe. And we're like, man, I, I could never even fully comprehend that. And you cannot you cannot, nor is he asking you to. So then what is it we need? What is it we need to understand? Well, what God does is he lets us know that he fully understands what's going, and he's going to give us a prescription from him that will help us avoid the Antichrist. Not because we understand fully what they're doing, but if you hold to these things, it will keep you from buying into those lies. Well, let's read through the whole thing. So we already started it, but let's go back and start again in verse 18 just to read it in context. He says it this way. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it, they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. Who, he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So in this, he gives us things that will help us navigate these confusing days, these dark days where Satan is at work in those things. What do we need? Well, the first one he tells us is the need for us to stay in fellowship. Or he warns us where they're going. So read it again there in verse 19. They, these antichrists, these that are trying to occupy the place of Christ, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. 
but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So deceptions, lies, cults, if we can think about it this way, what you need to understand is that most cults break away. Most cults break away from the church. That almost every cult out there that existed at one time tried to be a part of the church. That's true of Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness. That's true even of Islam that at one point in its beginning tried to say, hey, you know, let us be what you are, and, and rejected then becomes that. Almost every cult becomes that, where in one sense they break away and will say something to the effect of, everybody else is wrong. We're the only ones that have the truth. Everybody else has got it wrong, and we and we alone are the repository of truth. And it breaks away from the church. It breaks away from what that is. Now, again, I don't want to go too deeply into this because there is truth. Sometimes the church itself can go bad, and the break is actually returning to the truth of God. But that's the key, is embracing the truth that's in Christ, embracing the who we are in Christ. And it tells us, hey, these go out, and they're leaving is what proves that they weren't actually of us. Now, that's a pretty incredible reality with a lot of ramifications that we won't totally dive into. But it has the idea at one time they looked like Christians, maybe even acted like Christians, and then they left. Then they left, and the leaving proves that it was never actually genuine in the first place or they wouldn't have left because there is holding into the midst of it. So that's helpful for us to understand in the sense of these who get into error. But if we could turn that a little bit and simply make it practical for us, I want to give it to you this way. Stay in fellowship. (laughs) Stay in fellowship. You are made to be in connection, to love God and love people. And the lie that Satan is foisting on our world is somehow to seek to disconnect people from fellowship to isolate you from the people of God so that you become easier to be kind of dealt with. And the key is to stay in fellowship. I think about it this way. I think about the passage that's given to us in Hebrews where it simply says, you know, that we are not to be those who are forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Fascinating because the writer of Hebrews says, you know, as we see that day approaching, you need this more. As we get closer and closer to the end, this is going to become a bigger and bigger deal. Don't do it. Don't be pulled out. Don't be distanced. Don't be the one that separates from the body of Christ. Don't be the one that does that. And that warning is one that we need to process through for a moment. Okay, let me be really clear. because Some of you are wondering what I'm saying. If I am saying this, especially some of you are joining us online right now, we think about this weird season that we've been in, this COVID season that's now been two years running, you know, in, in the midst of the deal. And we know this, that it's created a lot of confusion and a lot of problems. Some of you, even joining us online right now, you are, have made that decision to stream and be online because of, you know, maybe you're physically compromised and unable to kind of be around that. Please understand this. I am not speaking this against you, and I'm not saying that where you are is wrong. I will say this. I hope it passes. I hope this COVID season passes, and I hope it kind of gets there so you, you can find yourself back, because one of the things that should be really clear is that we need this, uh, that we need the fellowship of God. And you could never get that streaming. You could never get what it is to sit among God's people and to resonate to that incarnational reality that is meant to be a part of who we are. And church is that. That being said, let me again, just make sure I'm speaking to you guys who are online. It is entirely possible for you to be fully in fellowship with the body of Christ right now. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be present with us. How so? Well, first of all, can I just invite you, make sure that you're fully connecting. And I want to say this kindly, but helpfully. See, here's the danger, one of the many dangers of streaming, is that you can begin to only half pay attention, like more than normal. I mean, because the danger is that you're at home right now, and you can begin like, I'm going to clean the kitchen while we do church, and I'm going to wash, you know, you know, iron the clothes or play with my phone. I'm just telling you, you can't. I mean, there's no way to do that and fully be present, and I'm just inviting you. If you are needing to stream with us right now, then be fully present. Put everything else away. Have a Bible open. Fully commit to being with us, and then do more, because fellowship is not just worshiping and hearing the teaching of the Word of God. It's connecting with God's people, and you need that 
but you can do that by calling them, emailing them, texting, making yourself connected to the body of Christ. In fact, some of you who are doing this online, you might be in better fellowship than some who are present because you are intentionally doing that, and I love that, and I just want to tell you that's possible. That said, please understand, we need each other, and I'm hoping that you kind of hear that, that we're made for this, that we're made to this, and I know that for some of you, it's actually worked this way. I really think that for some, COVID has become one of those places that has made some distant from the body of Christ, but it's done the opposite for others of us. I think some of us, I mean, I can honestly say two years ago, I loved being a part of the body of Christ, but I got to tell you, COVID has made it like, I love being together. It's like, I just love being together. Like, I love seeing your faces. It's just like, it is so sweet. It's actually increased it. It's like, I am more committed to, to fellowship than I was before. And we need that, which is what John's been talking about. He's been telling us in the, in the, in the book of First John, if you've been with us already, hey, we absolutely need each other that we are a part of the koinonia. Some of you remember in the first chapter of uh, First John where he talked about that we've been brought into this family of God, this fellowship, and then he told us, hey, we are meant to show that. So if you're with us a couple weeks ago, we saw that we have this new commandment that we're to love one another. Even as Christ loved us, we're to love one another. That's how the world will know. We're called into this. But the thing is, the spirit of Antichrist, and however it comes, would cut you away from this would cut you out of connecting with God's people, would make it something that would be isolating for you. Now, I don't know if you understand this. It's so much bigger than COVID. That's just a small part of it. In fact, the bigger parts are some of the scary things that are happening in our world right now, literally worldwide, but especially here in the United States, it's happening. There was a research done by the Pew Research Center recently, and they kind of talked about how that three in 10 U.S. adults are now religiously unaffiliated, that they find themselves saying you know, it's not that I'm unspiritual, I'm just not connected to anything else. Like, I don't view myself as a part of a church or a movement. In fact, as they went on to say, it's the fastest growing U.S. religious affiliation. Right now, it is the fastest growing U.S. I mean, affiliation in the United States. Years ago, it was minor. So people would do one of these surveys, and you'd say, you know, if you say, yes, I believe in God, or yes, I'm spiritual, then you would say, okay, are you Protestant? Are you Catholic? Are you Baptist? I mean, whatever that kind of works, and you kind of say, this is my religious affiliation. And very few decades ago would say, none of the above, like none of the above, or just I don't have any religious affiliation, but it's grown. It's grown massively in the last 10 years uh, within our country. I think about it this way. Statistics kind of let us know that Mormons, Orthodox Christians, they've stayed you know, right around 1-2% of, of Americans. Catholics, about 21, 24. They, they went down from 24 to 21%. But Protestants in 10 years have dropped from 52 to 40%. I've seen this massive pulling away uh, from, from being connected with God's people and this massive movement. And what's really scary about it is it actually is breakable down by even age. Uh, as they looked at it, then those who are about 18 to 29, somewhere between 30 and some statistics actually say 45% in that category say, that's us. Like I'm religious, I just don't have anything to do with church. I, I, I don't have anything to do with that. And I don't know if you can track with that for a moment, but I want to tell you, I feel it. I feel like that's the world that we're living in in, in huge ways. Disconnect that's happening, but I'm telling you, that's dangerous. That's exactly what he's telling us would happen. That's exactly what he's telling us this idea of Antichrist would be doing, would be pulling us away from Jesus. And one of the ways it does that is to disconnect us from the people of God. So, practically, one of the safest things you can do is make sure you stay a part of the people of God. Now, I'm not saying you have to stay in this church. Please don't misread what I'm saying. Like, if you leave our church, that's Antichrist. That's not what I'm saying. Hey, if God leads you to another church, that's great. As long as it's a Bible-teaching, biblical, you know, Christ-honoring fellowship, that's wonderful. But be a part of the body of Christ. Just make sure that you're a part that recognizes, I'm living in the last days. It's dangerous out here. I'm not smart enough. I'm not big enough. I couldn't fully understand it. Isolate me and I'll be in problems. Therefore, I need to be in fellowship. I need to make sure that I don't find myself being pulled away with this spirit of Antichrist that would disconnect me from the people of God. So that's the first thing that God gives us. This offer to say, hey, when you think about these Antichrists, this is what they would do. They would leave. Don't leave. Don't, don't leave God's people. 
Stay a part of that. Secondly, in verse 20, he says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. You have an anointing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amazing reality. So the idea of anointing, it's bigger than we have time to go into, but in the Old Testament, you would have maybe a prophet or a king who would be anointed by the power of the Spirit just uniquely, but it wasn't everybody. But what happened in the New Testament when Jesus died on the cross for us, something happened that had never happened before. That is the Spirit of God took up residence inside the heart of every Christian. Now, we find the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're really saved, then he's there. In fact, Paul would say in Romans, he says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not his. If the Spirit of God isn't in you, then you're religious, you're not saved. Because the dynamic of this is amazing. The Holy Spirit lives in our lives. And in so doing, he's helping us. He's teaching us. He's instructing us. He's helping us grow in truth. That's exactly what Jesus promised us. So, in fact, Jesus was giving us this. Like the night before he went to the cross, he was sharing with the disciples, and he spoke about this in length. Let me just give you a few of the verses. In John 14, Jesus is saying, he says, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. He says, I'm going to give you another helper. And he's not going to be a temporary thing. It's not going to be just a, a momentary thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, he'll be with you forever. He'll never leave you. He's, he's with you. He's inside of you. In fact, he goes on. He says, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Like this is not what the world has. If you're someone that doesn't know Jesus, you don't have this. The spirit of God is not taking up residence inside of you. Those in the world don't have this, but followers of Jesus do. We have the work of spirit inside of us. In fact, he helps us. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He's going to help you. He's going to teach you. He's going to teach you truth. He's going to help you understand truth, both positively and in our text this morning, protectively keeping you away from error, highlighting when things go wrong. Jesus went on and said, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, you will speak and he will tell you things to come. He'll guide you. He will guide you. I mean, in a world that can be confusing, in truth that is needed, what an incredible reality that the Holy Spirit has given to us to help us. Now, in our context here in this text, again, he's telling us that's one of the things that will help us so that we could recognize Antichrist, so that when something is coming to rob Jesus, rob the place of Jesus in our life, the Holy Spirit will help us figure that out. He will help us understand that. That's what he just said. In fact, just notice it again. It says, you have an anointing, verse 20, from the Holy One, you know all things. He will reiterate it, and we'll talk about it next week in verse 27. He says, but the anointing which you've received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie just as it taught you, and you will abide in him. Wow. So the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us. I hope you understand what this is. I mean, I hope in one sense this is like, I had no idea it was even happening, but I hope you do. I hope in one sense this is a part of your life. And let me kind of give it to you in a couple of examples and maybe it'll help. Some of you, it's worked positively. I mean, I wonder if it's happened for you. Like you're traveling or you're meeting somebody for the first time and you're kind of meeting them and then it just begins happening. Like the Holy Spirit inside of you begins testifying, it talks about, of the Spirit in them. And pretty soon you're like, you're a believer, aren't you? Like I know, I mean, I don't even know you, but I just like, we're family and I kind of, I mean, and there's something, it's like, wow, that's amazing. And so it's a part of being a part of the body of Christ. I hope you've experienced that. But I wonder if you've experienced the other side of it as well. Like you're there and somebody's talking and they're saying things that sound pretty good, but inside of you, there's like this red flag. It's like ding, 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 ding. And you're like, I don't know why. I mean, it's not, I mean, it sounds pretty good. It sounds kind of, I mean, they're quoting the Bible even. But inside there's this, you know, 
it's probably a terrible way to say it, but it's going to land for somebody, so just let me say it this way. You have like this spiritual spidey sense going off. You know, it's like, it's like something's wrong. You know, it's like, I just know this. And, and I just want to tell you that's how it works. Like the Holy Spirit would do that. Now, let's just be honest with this. Does that mean that Christians can't be deceived? Of course not. Or we wouldn't have this text or so many of the other texts in Scripture. Yes, you can be deceived. But to do so, you're going to have to ignore the Holy Spirit's help. You're going to have to deaden your conscience so that you're not listening. You're going to quench the Spirit. You're going to block that. And that happens all the time. But you do so against His faithfulness. And, and the idea is, in the midst of this, is that we want to be aware of that. Now, again, this is just a personal statement. Whether it's true or not, you can take it and think about it. I have found that sometimes new Christians are better at this than more mature Christians. It would seem like it would go the other way, but it's not always that way. Sometimes you'll have this new follower of Jesus, and they're like, I don't know anything, you know, but then they meet somebody who's like a cultist or something, and they're like, man, they were talking, and everything inside of me was like, I just had these spiritual, I just, I knew it wasn't good, and you're like, I don't even know why it isn't good. I don't know anything. I just know it doesn't, and that's an amazing thing. Then you get more mature in Christ, and we almost just get too, you know, arrogant, like, I know these things, and I believe Bible truth, and, and then we just, we, we can buy into lies simply because you are, it's possible to deceive you. Satan's playing chess while you're playing checkers, and you can't play his game, and if you're going to go by your own understanding, you'll get deceived, but the Holy Spirit is trying to help you, and I'm just telling you, this is amazing. It's one of those amazing things. If you will believe it, it's amazing, and, and it's wonderful. It's like God is telling you, it's a really confusing world out there. I'm not going to leave you alone. My Holy Spirit's going to be inside you. Listen to him. Now, here's the deal. There's a lot of things that can kind of go wrong in that because sometimes we feel uncomfortable and it's not the Spirit. Sometimes it's just you. Sometimes it's your own prejudice or it's your own bad experience. Let's just own that. So we're not telling you to trust your gut. I'm not just telling you if you don't feel it, but, but I am telling you, hey, be aware of this. So that if there's a, a sense from the, it's like, man, I just, I, this, you know, I, I'm reading this book or somebody's telling me this thing and there's just this like, ding, 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 ding. It's like, I should lead, listen to that and evaluate and don't buy into it unless I know. I mean, it's like, I want to know that that's right because the Holy Spirit will help you, which is glorious. I mean, it's this dynamic reality. And for some of you, again, you love this. And some of you are like, man, I don't ever do that. Well, you should. You should believe that God is faithful, that he's inside of you, that the Holy Spirit would help you, and he will help protect you, and it should be a part of what you're doing. Pay attention to that. Now, that being said, that actually connects to the next piece of it. So let's go back to it. He says, you have an anointing, verse 20, from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you, verse 21, because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And no lie is of the truth. So one of the things the Holy Spirit is doing is not just kind of, you know, speaking into our hearts or kind of giving us a, a sense of right or wrong, but he's teaching us, which is what Jesus told us, right? He says the Holy Spirit's going to teach you truth. Like he's going to help you understand the truth. And so one of the things that protects us is the truth. That is the truth of God's word. That is this book where Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you alone. He'll help you understand these things. So let me put it to you this way. If it is true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. Not original with me, but it's worth your hearing. So everything we need, biblically, truth, has already been given to us. That's how he's wording it. He says, you already know the truth. Now, he's not saying that you are personally a full repository of all truth because some of you are like not me like I don't know everything but we have everything we the spirit of God has given to us the complete scriptures this book the bible you have in your hands is inspired by the spirit and everything we need is found here in fact, let me just give you a few verses that back that up. There it tells us in 2 Peter, as his divine power has given to us, how many things? All things that, that pertain to life and godliness. Like everything we needed, he gave us. In Christ, in the promises of his word, it goes on to say, but it's all been given to us. Or he'll say it this way in Timothy. 
All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, notice, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything we needed, he gave us so that you can be complete. Nothing's lacking. There's not any piece that you, did, that you didn't need that God hasn't given to us in his word. In fact, he seals it for me in one of the most amazing ways. As the final book of the Bible uh, was being inspired, it gave it to us in chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. And it says, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life. I just want to tell you that's serious. He's like, don't, don't mess with it. Don't mess with what I've given. Don't add to it. Don't take it away. I have given you what you need. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking about it, would say it this way. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, and you are my, then you're my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Love this. So he looks at those who believe, and he says, if you would really abide in my word, you would really be disciples. Or we would maybe say it uh, in our modern terminology, you really want to live the Christian life out? Stay in the book. Abide in the Bible. Because if you know this, if you know his word, it'll free you. It'll free you from deception. It'll free you from things that would take you down. If you know this, it would hold you and keep you because that's why he's given it to you. Now, I think about it. A couple weeks ago, we talked about spiritual maturity, and some of you were here then, and we saw these categories that God gave us of little children and young men and fathers, and we pointed out that he says we're, we're meant to grow into this place where we become young men and women in Christ, and he says the mark of that is you're strong, and you know the book. You abide in the book, and you know what that does? You overcome the enemy. You overcome the enemy. Now, it's not the, f- the height of everything he has for us. More is there, but this is the mark of where we are, that the way to overcome a deceiver of Satan is to know this book and to know these realities. And I'm simply telling you, hey, that is so incredibly vital. Hold fast to this truth. You have it all. Why do you need to know this? You know. You know, because here's the way an antichrist works. It will come in a movement or in a person and say, the Bible's not enough. The Bible's not enough. We have something else for you. The Bible's not enough. Um, We have another book for you that completes the revelation of God. The Bible's not enough. You need our magazine. You you need our our helps to be able to understand it. The Bible's not enough. You need my personal experience, and so it'll happen. I mean, someone will come to you and say, man, you know, I had this vision from God, and you know, it's not found anywhere in the Bible, but I learned this brand new thing about God and what he wants for our life. You should be the kind of person that goes, <laughs> no. Like, if it's new, it's not true. Like, I got the Bible. Like, I can spend my life in the Bible, and I will not even come close to fully comprehending what's there. I don't need more. In fact, everything I need is there. So one of the big red flags of the spirit of Antichrist is to recognize when somebody comes and says, oh, that's not sufficient. Like, you, need, you, you don't just need the Bible. You need the Bible and our book. Or you need the Bible and our revelations. You need the Bible and our stuff. You should just, in the back of your mind, lock it into your brain, go, ding, 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 ding. no, 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 no. That would, that's exactly what he's telling me. That's how the spirit of Antichrist works. I don't need more. I have what I needed. I have the word of God. I have the word of God that will hold me. I need to be one that holds fast to his truth. So again, we live in this world that's deceiving. You're not enough for it. You can't fully comprehend it. Satan's playing chess. We're playing checkers. But if you stay in fellowship, you heed the Spirit, you hold fast the truth, it'll help you. But there's one more thing he gives us. So let's go back in and notice it. He says, and again, let's read it for a little bit of context. Verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but but you do know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Simple put, keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep Jesus central. It really is all about Jesus. It really is 
all about Jesus. I, I think about this reality. I think that what, what this is looking like here, and, and we simply look at this, and I'm just telling you that Jesus, he is our everything. Everything that God has for us is encapsulated in Christ. He's the way of our salvation. He's the only way to be saved. I think about how Jesus said it in John 14, where he said, said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, I don't know how to say it better than that. Jesus is like, I'm it. I'm the only way. Every other attempt to get to God, to get to heaven, is going to fail. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. That to come to Christ, he's the only access, he's the only means of salvation. He is the way of our salvation, but he's the fullness of it as well. That everything that God has for us is to grow in Christ, where we find him to be our everything. Again, we talked about it a couple weeks ago in the spiritual maturity message, and we talked about how, yes, we need to grow in the word of God and all of that, but we saw what maturity looks like. It's knowing him. It's the place where we really do find that he's our everything. And I talked to you then about the passage in Philippians 3, some of you are here, where Paul gives it to us in his own testimony. He says, yet I indeed count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I told you then, I love the phrase where Paul looks at this. He says, you know, it's the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, that what I've been made for is to know him. And to know Jesus, it becomes excellent. And that's a great word, hard to translate into the English language. Maybe a literal translation of it would be the super surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. The idea that I find Jesus and everything else doesn't compare. Everything else falls into the background. Everything else becomes small because knowing Jesus is everything. Knowing Jesus, it's my life. I mean, Jesus is what he has for us. I think about what Jesus said. He said, the thief comes in to rob, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly. Like life is found in Jesus. Like what we need is found in him. And I want to try to say that better than I'm saying it. I wish I could press it in deeper, but I want to just try it. Maybe even this would help if you just think through the term that we're talking about this morning. When we talk about Antichrist, it is an attack on his place. So the Antichrist is coming. Many Antichrists are here. And what is it trying to take the place of? Jesus. Now, there's a lot of really important things in our Christian life, but it's not the main thing. So they're not anti-Bibles or anti-churches. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-Christ because it's all about Jesus. It's about him being the thing, the center part of our lives, of us finding our life in him. That's where Satan is attacking. Satan understands this. He understands that the thing that is life to us is abiding in Christ, holding to Jesus. And so one thing he's trying to do, keep you away from Jesus, to take the place of what Jesus is meant to be in your life. And wherever that's working a little bit, it has robbed you even already of what Jesus is meant to be in your life. And what he's telling you right now is like, no, I need to, I need to put whatever those lies are and say, I need Jesus. I need, more, I need more of Jesus. I mean, he's what I'm needing. I mean, my life is found in him. I mean, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And my life is found there. But understand how serious this is. Because if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. You miss this. It's not like you just, you know, get a lower grade. You miss Jesus. You miss everything. I think about what Jesus said. He says, you know, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. I mean, I don't know how to say that better. What a scary thing. To, to, to recognize it really is all about Jesus and miss this. You miss everything because it really is about Jesus. It really is about him. <laughs> I found myself thinking about it. And uh, so I was processing this through a little bit yesterday and, and wanting to say it better and thinking, Lord, how do I say this? How do I you know, stand up in front of your people and tell them it really is about Jesus and they need Jesus and, and, and that they really, I mean, don't want anything to take away from that. And I was thinking about that and uh, a fellow pastor sent me a, uh, just a, a little thing that he had, had found, and he, it was a, 
picture of a, of, a, of a test that a student had been taking, kind of a crazy, you know, math test, you know, and give the answer. And so the kid just kind of gave the, the, the church answer. <laughs> Jesus is always the answer, which is a good answer, by the way. I mean, it's like, if you ever, like, you know, kind of have that in Sunday school, like, you don't know the answer, Jesus is always the answer. It was like, because, well, yeah, that's probably true. But I like the way it kind of read the, the, the teacher kind of, you know, wrote on it. It says, well, not on this question. <laughs> Mine as well. So, uh, you know, kind of true answer. But in one sense, I just want to think, hey, but there is still truth there. I mean, there is something about understanding that is about Jesus. So I hope a little bit fun, but please understand how serious this is. Because it might be you. Here, might be you online right now. And you're religious, but you don't know Jesus. And you miss Jesus, you miss everything. I mean, I hope you can hear just how serious he puts it in this word. He just tells it to us this way. And there in verse 22, who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the answer, that he is God's solution, that he is God, is even in the context of it. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son denies the Father also. So there will be people like, well, I'm not denying that, you know, God is God. I just don't really believe that Jesus, you miss Jesus, you miss God. You miss Jesus, you miss God. But if you acknowledge the Son, then you have the Father also. I mean, what a scary thing that is. Now, I think about that, and I think about how Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? To me, this is some of the most scary, this is one of the most scary passages in the entire Bible. I really wish it wasn't there. I honestly do. Or I wish it said it differently. I wish it would say, hey, there's a couple people when they get to heaven, uh, when they stand before Jesus, are going to be here. Jesus didn't say it that way. He says it's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot. There's going to be many. And this group of people is going to come before Jesus, and they think they're going to heaven because of good things they've done, even in Jesus' name. Okay, process this through with me just for a moment. Cults are dangerous. Satan's lies are dangerous. And for most cults out there, it's not that they reject Jesus totally. They just redefine him in a lesser way. So whether it be Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, it really is about Jesus, or even Islam. Islam doesn't deny that, that Jesus was a real person, they just say he was a prophet that, that really should get behind their system of things. And so there's a world out there who, in the name of Jesus, you know, is still trying to do good things. Sometimes even a miracle things. I mean, those are amazing things. That we, we've prophesied in your name, and Jesus, it was your name. We cast out demons in your name. We've done all this stuff, and yeah, we used your name in the title. Like, we had your name as a part of this, so we get to come in, Right? I mean, we get to come in because look at all the good things we've done, and, and, and we didn't, you know, not say Jesus, but then Jesus just simply says to them, then I'm going to declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Some of the most scary words in the Bible. He's going to look at these people and say, but we didn't have a relationship. You and me? You didn't know me. You, you, you knew church. You did religious things. You did religious things in my name. You didn't know me. You didn't have a relationship with me. And Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and life. I wish it wasn't so, but it is going to be so. So I'm trying to say it in the most key and clear way. If that's you this morning, if you're here, if you're joining us online, please understand I'm not trying to belittle you or make fun of you. I'm just telling you, you need Jesus. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be good. It's not enough to even refer to Jesus. You gotta know Jesus. I mean, the essence of our life is having a relationship with Jesus. He is God's solution. He is God's answer. He is God's, and, and, and that's what you need. And so desperately saying, if that's you today, would you surrender? Would you, would you find yourself saying, I know him and he knows me? Because nothing else will do. Okay. So we've been talking about it. God has given us this prescription to avoid Antichrist. He's telling us the scary days that we live in, and he's telling us how. Let me go back to it and say it again in the way I gave it to you a moment ago. Just that quote, hey, Satan is playing chess while we as the church are playing checkers. He's smarter than us. 
He's been around a lot longer. He plays on a level that you and I can't play at. And you just need to understand that. That, that should be a little bit scary. That you shouldn't be like, well, I got this. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to, really? No, you, you would. But our hope and our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in God who's playing 3D chess, who not only wins in the end, but is overruling everything for good in our lives. And in the midst of this, here's what God does, as he tells you, I'm going to give you things that will be solid for you so that in a world that gets more and more deceptive, as the spirit of Antichrist begins to permeate our world, if these things are yours, you won't fall into one of Satan's traps. You won't fall into the traps that seem to be getting worse and worse as the days grow closer. So I'm just simply telling it to you. Hey, stay in the midst of God's people. Don't be isolated. Don't be cut off. Don't find yourself finding yourself in some faction of, uh, of people that cuts off from everything that God is. And then trust God. Believe in His Holy Spirit. Ask Him. Holy Spirit, guide me. <laughs> Open up to me truth and help me so that I don't get deceived. And He will. But grow in His truth. Because everything that was necessary for us is here. And Jesus said, if you abide in this book, this book will make you free. If you know this book, if you know what I've given you, You'll be complete, thoroughly equipped. You'll be protected in all of those things. Know his book and you'll be safe. But then the main thing, because everything gets to this, the main thing is keep it all about Jesus. I mean, it's an antichrist spirit. Don't let anything or anyone steal the place of Christ in your life. He's meant to be your life. He is meant to be your hope, your joy, your help, your strength. Anything that takes his place will rob you. And I'm pleading with you today not to let that happen. I'm pleading with you in a world that is confusing and deceptive that you don't let anything steal the place of Christ in your life. All right, that's where we'll close this morning so you can close your Bibles, notebooks, and we're just going to go before God together in prayer. And I don't know where this has found you this morning. Again, it might be you that don't have a relationship with Jesus. Would you cry out now? Would you cry out now? Would you ask him to just draw you into a relationship with him? And we just long that even today, that if that's you, you would be saved. And if you have questions on that, we'd love to talk to you about it. But for many of you, you know Jesus. You're in a relationship with him. But it's a scary world. I hope I haven't made that not scary. It is scary. Satan is playing chess while we're playing checkers, and you're not smart enough. But he's given you what you need. And, and so maybe you just need to talk to him about that. Maybe one of these things is lacking in your life right now. Maybe you're neglecting one of the things that is meant to be holding in your life right now. Would you just talk to him about that? Whatever that's met you this morning, would you just grab hold of what he's offering you this morning that would keep you safe in a confusing world? Quietly between you and the Lord, would you do that? I'll do the same. And we'll close together in worship in just a moment. God, it may be so that the reality is the most terrifying thing is for those that miss everything because they miss you. To hear you say in that final day, I don't know you. Even to those who used your name and did good things. God, for anybody that's in that space right now that have bought into one of the lies that Satan is propagating, rescue them right now. Rescue them right now from missing you, missing life in you. God, just asking, even right now, that you would be the one that would save. 
and draw these that are outside of you into a relationship where you know them and they know you. God, I just ask for that right now. I leave those in your care and then just bring before you your children who you addressed this passage to, little children. And you warned us the days in which we live, the Antichrist that is just so much in our world just heading in that direction. But the Antichrist who are so present right now. Gotta recognize how scary that is. And for me, I just wanna come and admit I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough to handle that on my own. Satan is smarter. He's playing chess while I'm playing checkers. God, I just want to admit that. But I'm so glad that my confidence isn't me. My confidence is you. That you're God and you're working. All things for good. And you win. Satan has no chance. The end is certain. And the outcome cannot be altered. So Lord, I want to put my confidence in you and hear what you offer. May we be a people that hold fast to the things that you tell us would keep us. That we be a people that don't let ourselves be knocked out of fellowship with God's people. And we pay attention to the work of the Spirit that you've put inside of us. And we grow in your truth. But the most important of all, that Jesus, we, we keep you centered. That nothing would take your place in our life. Nothing would be an antichrist in our lives, taking the place that you're meant to have. May we find our all in you, our life in you, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ growing. I just ask that for me and for all of us now. Just protect us in these weird days so that we are kept safe in you. I ask that for me and for all of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May God meet you in that. May he cause it to be where